Please take a seat. Thank you. Uh, Well, we're going to to read together the passage we'll be thinking about over the next few minutes. It is James chapter 5, and we'll be reading verses 13 to the end of the book, verse 20. The words should appear behind me on the, on the screen, but if you do have a Bible, it would be helpful to me, and I trust to you to have that open in front of you as I read, and then as Willie comes to speak on it in a few minutes' time. Let me read for us from James chapter 5, and reading from verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. Amen. Let me invite Willie up to come in and speak to us now. Thank you. So uh, first of all, a little apology. My uh, my voice is not its usual timber. I think that's the right word. Um, so I'm dependent on uh, the loudspeaker a wee bit tonight, which I hope will get us through. And I appreciate that it's pretty hot up here as well. So I'll endeavour to keep your attention as as best I can. Now, as uh, as James finishes off this letter. It's uh, fairly obvious that what he does is that he addresses this great subject uh, of prayer. And it is a natural follow-on from what he's really been writing about up until this point. So if you just go back, for instance, to the very start of chapter 5, you'll see the the kind of difficulties that the Christians found themselves in. Uh, They're being exploited by rich people. As part of that, they're not being paid. Their, uh, their, their wages are being withheld. And we all know what follows on from that kind of treatment. Uh, no food on the table. Concern, worry about the family. You can imagine uh, the children coming up to their dad and saying, you know, we're being persecuted because we're believers in the Lord Jesus. We don't understand why this is so difficult. And the parents coming to James and asking for his opinion, what should we do in this kind of situation? And the answer that he gives them is a one-word answer. And what he says, basically, as we can see here, you should pray. 
Now, I mean, imagine if we, any of us, was in that kind of situation and we were given that advice. Uh, I suspect the tendency might be for us to feel that that was all a bit too easy uh, and all a bit glib um, and doesn't really take into account the complexities and the difficulty of the situation. And yet it is the answer that he gives and it is the right answer even although at times we might feel, well, we know that, and that might just seem a little bit too simple. And it is the right answer because when we come in prayer to our Heavenly Father, we are still, and we are trying to know that He is God. With all that is involved in that wonderful name, that He is sovereign that he knows, that he is in control, that, that he cares. And, and we are unburdening ourselves. And as much as we find it helpful to unburden ourselves at times to friends and to others, to unburden ourselves to someone who is our heavenly Father is immeasurably more helpful. It allows us to draw the curtain back, if you like, to get into the presence of God and to see things from his perspective and to have faith like the psalmist does on so many occasions when he was struggling with difficulties. It's something that James himself, I think, learned a little bit about. You remember at the the garden where the Lord Jesus went, Gethsemane, and he said to Peter, James, and John, just you stay here, watch and pray while I go ahead and pray as well. And, and they weren't able to do that. They fell asleep. And if ever there was a complex situation, it was that one. A difficult situation. And yet he had been told to watch while Christ prayed. Learn from that and pray himself. And so we are given a reminder about one of these great fundamentals of of the faith. We all all know this. We all know about the importance of prayer. It It is often helpful just to be given a reminder again about how important it is. And this passage, I hope you will find, goes on to explain that. So if you're suffering, he says, we need to pray. Is anyone cheerful? He turns the other side of the coin. Well, why might I be cheerful? Well, maybe things are going well for me just now. The sun is shining. You know, the grass is green. Um, School is out. You know, I've passed my exams. I've graduated. We're all healthy. The holidays are coming. You know, maybe there are lots of reasons to be cheerful. And uh, he says, well, if you are, remember to pray as well. Remember to praise And to remember that everything that we have comes to us as a blessing from God. That God is the giver of every good and every perfect gift. So pray. Pray when life is good and pray when life is tough. And then what he does here is he moves into a particular aspect of prayer that he's going to major on. For the, for the rest of this section. And, and it's what we have up here. It's this idea of, of pastoral 
prayer. Now, what I really mean is, he's moving just from a kind of personal, individual setting where we might be praying for ourselves or praising by ourselves as an individual to a church situation. Here's somebody, and it's in the setting of the church, and they're calling, because they're sick, for the elders of the church, for them to come and to pray over them. So elders have quite a number of different responsibilities. Um, This may, in fact, be the most important of all of our responsibilities. The responsibility to pray for every member of the flock that they as under-shepherds to Christ, the great shepherd, are. Um, We're perhaps not as good as that as we should be. We do try um, at our elders' meetings every, every two weeks. We consecutively and regularly go through by name, alphabetically, every member of the church uh, and pray for them. Pray for our house groups. It's something that's not just for the elders to do, of course. It's for all of us to be doing, to bear each other up before the Lord as shepherds who have a care and concern. Prayer like that is more important than me giving some sort of encouraging word to you. It's, it's, more, it's more significant than me writing an encouraging card or note to you. It's, it's something that has of greater value than perhaps me even giving you a financial gift during a time of hardship. It's the most important input that the shepherds of this church, the elders of this church can have on anybody's life is that we pray. And so this is a very much a message for me um, as I try to share this with you uh, from this passage uh, tonight. Now, there are some difficulties in interpreting this passage. So, for instance, what is this oil that is spoken about in verse number 14 that they are to anoint uh, the person with? And is this actually really saying that there, when he does this, when they, when they do this, that there is a 100% guarantee of success as far as someone being healed is concerned? And um, what is the kind of healing that's being talked about anyway? So these are all some of the things that we're going to try and kind of get to the bottom of and try to understand as we go through this uh, tonight. Now, we know that we should all be praying for those who are sick. And we know that God can do anything. We're encouraged to pray, to, to bring whatever it is to God in prayer. And God, in his great ability, is able to do whatever he wishes to do at whatever time he wants to do it. And he's not limited in any sense at all. And so, prayer for the sick is not something that we should be shying away from. Uh, at all. Now, let me just kind of point out a couple of, of technical points, if you like, which I have uh, found to be helpful in trying to understand this uh, passage. So, for instance, when we're at verse 14 and it says, is anyone among you sick? Now, the word that is used there uh, for sick literally is translated to be weak. 
Now, that word you, you will meet a number of times in the Gospels when Jesus heals people who are sick. But it's also used in different ways, particularly in some of the letters in the New Testament. So, to give you an example, if you were to go to uh, Romans chapter 14 and verse 1, it says, As for the one who is weak in faith. That is the word that's used here. It's the same word. And if you go to, for instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, around about verse 10, I think, it's talking about somebody there whose conscience is weak. That's exactly the same word that is translated sick here in this passage. Another thing just to point out is this, is that when you come in verse number 15 and the word sick is used again, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, that is actually a different word, a Greek word. Now, not that I, you know, have any claims to Greek, but I can read commentaries and I can read lexicons like everybody else, and you have that kind of root yourself if you want to check these things up. Um, and the word that is used there in verse number 15 is only used twice in the New Testament. And the word that is, tra- uh, is translated is actually to be weary. So we have weak and we have to be weary. And the other place in the New Testament that that word is found is in Hebrews chapter 12 and at verse number 3. You might find it helpful to turn to that one. It reads like this, Consider him, that is the Lord Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, that is the same word that is translated sick in our verse 15. So, the picture, I hope, is, is being built up here. And, and the picture is this, and I think it's going to be borne out by the, the thought flow of the passage as well. The picture is this. Here are these persecuted Christians, These people who are not being paid, who are being oppressed uh, by the rich and suffering in in different ways as well. And and, and what is happening is that they're they're being worn down. They're they're, they're tired, they're they're weak, and, and they're weary in the battle. They're tired out spiritually in the midst of all of this, of this suffering. Now, in their day, of course, it was what I've just mentioned. But, I mean, this kind of thing happens in our day all the time as far as Christian people are concerned. For a whole variety of reasons, people can grow weary in the fight, tired, downcast, struggling, and just finding it difficult to go on. And so, I mean, this comes to us as a very, very relevant and pertinent message uh, this evening, particularly in the context of the importance of pastoral prayer to help and to meet that kind of situation. We need to say something about this anointing with oil, actually, as well. So, because I think it's helpful. I I seem to be getting into a real thing about words tonight, but uh, it is important and it is helpful. There are are two words for anointing that are used 
um, in the Bible. And uh, the one that is used here is the word that can also be translated to rub on or to smear. Okay? There is another word. And the other word is more to do with a kind of ceremonial, religious anointing. For instance, you get this idea, you know, in the Old Testament when the priests used to anoint people with, with oil. It was done in a religious setting. They don't, they don't use that word. It's the idea of rubbing on or smearing on oil. Now, it, it's kind of used in other situations. The idea is used in other situations. So, for instance, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 17 the Lord Jesus is talking about fasting. And he's saying about the Pharisees, about the hypocrites. You know, when you fast, you know, don't let everybody know about that. You know, don't go about with a, a haggard look and half-shaven and, you know, just, just looking terrible. What you have to do is, you know, anoint your head. Don't let anybody know about it. That's the kind of idea here. Anoint your head. There's an instance... Uh, in Luke chapter 7, where he goes to a Pharisee's house. And it's the time when the woman comes with the, the alabaster box of ointment. And, and, and they criticize her. And in, in defending her and in replying to her, Jesus said, You know, when I came to your house, she's done this. When I came to your house, you didn't anoint my head with oil. You know, it was a customary thing to refresh and to welcome and to encourage those who were their guests. And it's in this sense that I would say that we find this word being used here. So it, seem, it would seem like the situation is of spiritual weariness. The elders are asked to come to pray. And they come to refresh and encourage as well as to pray for the individual. And, and this, I think, this emphasis on, on pastoral prayer is borne out uh, by the way the rest of the passage flows as well. So that's, that's my kind of understanding of that, that kind of difficult verse about anointing uh, with oil and praying. Now, let me just show you what I mean by the way the rest of the passage seems to tie into this. So first of all, in verse 15 and 16, he's talking about sins being committed. He's talking about confessing sins and, and praying that they might be healed. So people who are weary, people who are sick, are not only sick because of physical health problems. They can be sick due to their weariness. They can be sick due to the fact that in the course of this discouragement and weariness you know they they have sinned they have they have attributed things to god that shouldn't be attributed to god they've thought badly of him their their faith has slipped and they've become cynical or whatever and so all of this is tied up together and then as um johnny was pointing out at the end you have this part about those who are wandering from the truth and they're being brought back again. A sinner from his wanderings. And so the, the, the prayer is in this context. The prayer that these men offer on this individual's behalf is all tied into helping them come back 
and be refreshed and not to wander and to be true on the pathway again. And then, of course, we have the example of, of Elijah. Elijah, in verse number 17, is described as being a man with a nature like ours. You know, we, we read the stories of Elijah, great stories, prophets of Baal, Mount Carmel, and uh, we would be forgiven for thinking that he was some sort of spiritual superman. Whereas we're told, no, no, he was somebody who was just like us. And we know that when we read the stories in First Kings, because we know that there was one particular time where he was, ter- he was tremendously weary with the battle. He said, I'm all alone here. You know, there's, there's nobody else. And, and in fact, he says, and I'm not any better than my father's. That maybe gives us a little bit of an insight into maybe one of the sins that he had committed when he was discouraged like this. That he felt that he was a notch better than his father and his grandfather. He was a bit more educated, knew God better, was going to do greater things, and then it all comes tumbling down. And his pride takes a knock, and he says, well, at the end of the day, I'm I'm not any better than my father's. You know, nobody ever told him that he was better than his father. But that's what he thought and that's what he expressed at that time. And he was discouraged. And he, and he lay down under the juniper tree and he asked that the Lord would take away his life. And uh, the encouragement that he got, well, there was a physical aspect to that as well because the angel that came, you know, uh, cooked for him, told him to eat, and he slept He wasn't actually given a three-point sermon all beginning with the same letter. He was given something that was very practical, that refreshed him as part of the encouragement. And Elijah, a man just like us, is mentioned in the whole flow of how this thing is is developing. And uh, the great point that is made about pastoral prayer and Elijah, as I say, is used as the example, is this. Verse number 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, that's, that's, that's the bit we need to focus on tonight. When we pray, when we pray for others, out of our concern for them, those who are struggling in the fight, The prayer, we must believe this, when it's made, has great power as it is working. Now you just think of Elijah and the example that's given here. So it says that when he prayed, that it didn't rain for three and a half years. So he he prayed those words, you know, half a sentence, one sentence at the most, few, few words, but when he uttered that prayer, there was a whole sequence of events that, be, that began to be put in motion. Sequences of events that involved uh, the jet stream, the clouds, the temperature, the wind, you know. All of these things were, were powerfully moved around the location so that just in that small part of the Middle East... There was drought for three and a half years. The rain never fell, whereas it was falling somewhere else. Just think of the power that was taken for all of that to happen. 
And then when it was reversed, you know, after those three and a half years, the changes that would have taken place in, in, the, in the topography of the land, of the wildlife, and, 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 and of, of even the demographics of the people who would have moved around, the things that we see as far as all this climate catastrophe in other parts of the world just now because of drought. And, and yet something powerful happens that changes everything again. After he utters that sentence, let the rain fall, dear God, and the rain comes. There was great power that was working as he prayed. Now, there is a bit of a description that's given about that in First Kings 18, if you, want to, if you want to read it. His servant is with him. He prays seven times, it says actually, the same thing. And he gets his servant to go up and have a look over the sea. He's on Mount Carmel again. And he looks over the sea. And the, uh, the, the, the news that comes back is, I see a cloud, but it's only the size of a man's hand. And he prays again. And, and, and it changes it. And it grows. And the rain comes. The power of the prayer of a righteous man. Now, we could give many examples of this from Scripture. For, for our encouragement, let me give us a couple. Let me give you a couple. Let, let me remind you about Hannah's prayer in the Old Testament. Praying for a child, and, and she came subsequently to the, the old man Eli, the priest, and she said, "Well, it was for this child I prayed." And, and what happened when Hannah prayed? Well, we don't know exactly the medical problem, but, you know, maybe the pelvic inflammatory disease was all, was all dissolved. You know, maybe the eustachian tubes were all opened up again. Uh, maybe the ovaries started to function again. Some, some tremendous power began to take place within the body of Hannah so that she was able to conceive and bear a child. Great power began as she prayed. Or you think about Peter in prison in the New Testament and Rhoda and the others who were meeting in Mary's house praying in the city of Jerusalem. And as they prayed, and I know they were kind of taken by surprise, but an angel came. Chains fell off naturally from the, the hands and feet of Peter. An iron gate opened by itself all as an answer to the prayer of people because there was enormous power that was taking place because of their prayer. We need to hang on to this. We need to start to believe in this again. The importance of prayer individually, particularly pastorally as far as folks who are struggling are concerned. For me, one of the great things, as I said earlier, about prayer is that it, it helps you to lift, lift up the curtain, lift back the curtain between this world and the other world. And to realize that as we engage in prayer, what is happening is this, that God's Spirit is praying alongside us. Romans 8. When we don't know what to pray for as we ought to pray, with, with inexpressible groanings, 
the Spirit of God involves himself in our prayers. And our Lord Jesus, as our great intercessor and high priest, is also involved in prayer. You remember that great passage in the book of Revelation, where it talks about the prayers of the saints being like kept in a censer and ascending to God in prayer, ascending up to the presence of God. That's, that's a picture of what our prayers are like. They're never lost. They don't disappear into the ether. They're kept in the presence of God and they come up continually before him. And that is the drawing aside of the curtain to let us understand the power that does exist as far as our prayers are concerned. There's great power when we pray as it is working. Um, A month or two, well, it's more than a a month or two ago, I was, I was visiting Eddie, uh, Losi's dad, and uh, he was telling me, um, he was actually quoting somebody else, but he was saying, um, I'm off the preaching shelf now. <laughs> I'm too old, you know. Uh, I'm off the shelf, off the preaching shelf. But he said, I'm on the praying shelf. <laughs> and, and we can all be on the praying shelf shelf. Every one of us has this capacity and and the potential that is before us. And let's just remind ourselves, because it comes up to this conclusion here in, in, in verses 19 and 20, the potential of the power of our prayers. This person who's been, who has asked for the elders to come in his, in his weariness and tiredness, and that prayer that is offered And this is something that's held out to every one of us this evening. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death, will cover a multitude of sins. That is the power of pastoral prayer. And that is what we should be committing ourselves to. May God bless his word. Lord, um, we do feel our frailty, and yet this passage is full of such instruction and promise and encouragement for us. Help us to, to bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Help us to bear these burdens in prayer for each other. Uh, how much each of us is in need of each other's prayers. And Lord, we thank you for this church, for this Christian family, and for many who are committed to this. Uh, We thank you for that. And pray, Lord, that that will long be something that we enjoy the benefit of. We commit ourselves to you tonight. May we go with a sense of encouragement and joy in the Lord, joy in our our salvation through our great God and Savior, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.